I'm Kevin Bachman. On this episode of Background Check Radio, a webinar that I hosted with my iCubed partners, Jason Morris and Nick Fishman, sponsored by TazWorks. We covered a bunch of things. Uh, new services. What's here to stay? What's a flash in the pan? What's a COVID-related product that is likely to go away in a couple months? We talked about when will the volume train come to a stop? How much longer will this bull market last? We kicked around M&A activity, and more importantly, the psychology of it. Why do companies buy? Why do they sell? How do they do it? Compliance. How much does it still matter these days? We thought that was a nice topic, especially leading up to the PBSA Mid-Year Conference in a few weeks in Washington, D.C. Nick Jason and I talked about what we're looking for coming uh, out of that show. So it's about 60 minutes. We had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs, mostly at each other's expense. We think we'll get a lot out of it. So stick around. Of course, you know, uh, Jason, Kevin, and I. Big I Nick. Wonderful. Yep. This and is big a Nick face. This is big, big Nick face. Exactly. <laughs> I've always wanted to be a big boy. It's your new nickname. Yeah. Yep. So uh, let's keep going, Jason. Okay. Well, as you guys know, we are all part of iCubed Advisory. Um, some of the things that we focus on are M&A advisory, uh, both on the buy side and sell side. And one of the big things we've been doing mostly lately, aside from consulting, is recruiting. We've been, Kevin and I especially, have been busy nonstop uh, filling positions, executive positions for, for CRAs and, uh, and absolutely loving it. It's probably the most rewarding thing that we do. I've just um, been twiddling I- my thumbs for the record. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and then again, there's other things we do as well. Uh, we do growth and scale consultancy, and uh, we do some expert witness work and some go-to-market strategy stuff, but uh, really focusing on the M&A and the recruiting because that's really what's driving everything right now. So that's our little plug. If you want another plug, uh, the other plug I'll give you is if you're in the uh, Dallas, Houston, or Austin area, uh, the Motet is playing uh, the next couple of nights, and their opener is a band I manage called Eminence Ensemble. Check them out. Houston, Dallas, and Austin. Uh, Jason. Sorry, Nick. That was that it. was not a that was not a paid for <laughs> sponsorship. You'll be getting a check from you'll be getting a bill from Kevin and I in the mail here shortly. <laughs> Kevin, can you please go to our real sponsor? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks to Taz uh, today. Taz is Tazworks is a technology company offering turnkey background screening platform solutions to organizations uh, which which are providing screening services in our space. Tazworks is the creator of Taz Cloud, which is an end-to-end technology solution for the screening industry. Taz Cloud supports a number, a large number of independent screening agencies across the nation, and they include a robust suite of screening applications and advanced BI tools that help professionals operate efficiently. Taz Cloud delivers a comprehensive network of integrations ranging from quality data providers to human resource information systems, property management, applicant tracking systems, and drug screening providers. So thanks to them for, for being part of this today. Thank you, Taz. Thanks, Taz. All right, okay. and, and kicking stuff off for today. Um, you know, one of the things we like about coming together, and, and believe it or not, while we're all talking during the day and during the week, it's not like we, we sit down for hours and prepare our webinars. These are really organic. Um, in many cases, the three of us are talking about these things together for the same time or, or for the very first time. So benefit Especially for you guys. Today. 
Yeah, benefit for you guys is the audience. You kind of get to hear our unvarnished opinions, uh, some of which we have that we don't know what the other one says. So I broke today up into about five different sections for us. New services as we kind of come out of our COVID cloud. What's going to stay? And what's probably going to go away? That, that, that I think is going to be a real interesting conversation for us. When will the train stop? Um, and we have some ideas both macro and on a microeconomic basis um, as to when we think things will cool off a bit in our space. M&A activity, it continues. Before we hit record, we were talking about two more in our space. Um, we wanted to delve a little bit into the psychology today behind buyers and sellers, the why, the how, the what, um, the, the things that kind of go into their decisions. Compliance, especially with the mid-year conference coming up, we're going to have a nice conversation on how much it still matters. And I think there's going to be some um, heated arguments on not only uh, the three of us, but some of you guys listening today. And of course, throw those comments in the, in the chat box as we go along. Uh, and then in a couple of weeks, the mid-year conference, what are we looking for? Many people, it's going to be the first one back in a while. It'll be the first one for Jason and I since pre-COVID. So uh, we'll talk about that as well. That's not true. Well, Jason kind of sort of showed there. up at the last one. <laughs> it's only that he quarantined with him. My family tested positive before I got on the airplane. Jason had already gotten the airplane. So <laughs> the PBSA, the Anaheim Hotel caught, uh, treated you well for, for, uh, for not, what is it, nine or 10 days, right? Last, last it's year. home away from home. Yeah. This has been a hell of a six months, let me tell you. Um, all right. So our, our shout outs, again, we each pick three different pieces of the industry that, that we want to we want to kind of share some observations we ha we've had um, since the last time we were together. Nick, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, sure. So I, my, I'll start very generally and then I'll move specifically. Um, I, Jason and I were actually just talking before this meeting. It turns out that we share a, a, a very common thought uh, and we can get into it more in the presentation. That is the fact that there is now a bit of a vacuum for uh, or growth area for mid-market companies. So many of them have been bought up. So I'm going to focus my shout out on um, on some of the private equity companies that are pursuing roll-up strategies. Um, Renovo Capital um, has been doing a great job. I do want to give a shout out to Dan Philby and to uh, Damian Villegas at uh, PV Capital. Um, they are also doing a very nice job. Um, in particular, though, a company that I feel like has been making um, a lot of noise or a lot of splash within the industry right now is Iron Creek. Um, and towards the end of last year, um, they acquired MBI, they acquired Credential Check, they acquired Verified Credentials, and they acquired Omni Data Retrieval. Um, and so I think they're definitely making a big splash. The last one actually will be interesting to me to see how they navigate owning a supplier in the supply chain while they still own the CRAs. Um, but I do want to uh, give them uh, you know, a shout out because uh, I think they're doing a great job and setting the company up for future success. Jason, what do you got? Well, mine are more specific. And like Nick mentioned, I think that the, the, uh, the mid-market in this industry has been decimated over the last five or six years, and now it's kind of re-emerging. Re so I wanted to give a shout out to Datafax, JDP, TrueHire, Infomart, Orange Tree. Uh, I did those from memory. I can't think of the- uh, Way to narrow them down one. there, Jason. <laughs> uh, but those are the ones that are really starting to kill it uh, in the mid-market. They're, they're growing very, very nicely. Uh, they're making some excellent key hires in account management and, and sales and some, some stuff in operations. And it's really interesting to watch this kind of new market, uh, new mid-market emerge. 
Yeah, thanks, guys. Mine is to everyone who's recruiting. And while Jason said we're, you know, we're doing some recruiting, this, this isn't about us. I'm talking about the recruiters uh, inside companies that are trying to fill their open positions. Uh, I spent about an hour last week looking at job boards of a number of companies in our space. And I, I'm estimating there's over 1,000 open positions in our industry right now. Um, and and that, that's a huge number. Um, again, I didn't look at 400 companies in our space. We pretty actively track about 400 companies. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, you just look at the top and, and go down. But my back of the napkin math, there's well over 1,000 open positions in our space. So if you're out there trying to fill your open positions, or especially if it's not a real specialized hire, you're trying to get that 45,000, 55,000 client support position filled, uh, good luck. And, and, I, and I mean that. Like, it is hard work. So my sympathies to those who are doing it, but also my compliments to those who, who are doing it real well. But again, um, I'm spending a lot of time thinking about not only the operators, but um, the recruiters who are trying to fill their open spots right now. All right. Uh, so we, we mentioned it a little bit when we talked about individual companies and areas of the space that we're, we're thinking about. Um, I put this slide here today because um, this is kind of the prism that lately we've been, we've been thinking about the companies in our space and kind of which bucket they they fit into. Um, and we chatted before we hit the record button and you know we we're talking about the publicly traded companies. And, and what I think is interesting about their efforts um, isn't so much that they're trying something that they've never done before. I mean, we all, whether you're a startup or the largest in our space, we, we all want to deepen our relationships and look for new opportunities to sell and serve and support. What's really interesting in the publicly traded space right now, and I'm thinking of five in particular, I'm thinking of, thinking of Equifax, I'm thinking of uh, you know, Meridian Link, our sponsor, um, First Advantage Sterling, Higher Right, is now they have people watching them. It's not just doing right by your team, doing right by your boss, doing right by your leadership. You have outside investors. You have people that are looking, financial reporting, quarterly statements, where you really need to come to them with a plan and proof of what you're trying to do to grow that business. So I, I think for those organizations, it's taking on a little bit of a different bent. And I know on the outside looking in, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at those um, a little deeper. What do you guys think of when you, when you see the others that we have listed here? I mean, I, I look at publicly traded and I think about how how forward thinking a lot of those companies have to be in order to stay competitive and stay relevant in this industry. And the example that keeps coming to mind um, is uh, Peloton. And here's why I want to use Peloton yeah. as the example. So Peloton's kind of hanging out there right now, right? They're, they're out there. They're probably going to get bought up. Amazon really wants them. Apple kind of needs them, right? So mm -hmm. now you got all these companies that if something like that sells and gets put into somebody else's ecosystem, now they're competing with something that they don't have, they're not ready to compete for. So these companies, Sterling, First Advantage, Higher Right, they have to be ready to make some very opportunistic acquisitions to stay relevant. And I think that's going to be incredibly interesting to watch over the next year. And I think what you're going to start seeing is you're going to start seeing a lot in the identity space. Uh, you're going to start seeing some acquisitions and some and some money spent by these bigger companies in the identity space, in the blockchain space, uh, in, in the in Silicon Valley, and some of the emerging technologies. That's where you're going to start seeing some real plays because they have to. I I, I mean I'll I'll echo what Jason's saying. First of all, Jason, it's a good point about um, Peloton and 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 where that sits. Um, Can you believe I, I it? No, somebody must have cued him. 
Um, <laughs> I did throw so, a comment. I did throw a comment in about two books to Jason's comment because because I agree with that. Apple and Peloton, I think, is a great match. And I threw a, I threw another author in the chat for everybody. Yep. Sorry, Nick. Great. No, no, that's okay. Uh, what I was going to say about the publicly traded companies is I think the deepening relationship with end users uh, is somewhat, and I, this is not an insult, Kevin, um, to, to what you wrote here, but it's somewhat generic, right? They're always trying to do that. Mm -hmm. I, to me, what I look at the, the real challenge um, with these publicly traded companies is now they've got to go deliver on the promise that they made. And I'm not really worried about them delivering on the promise of being able to continue to sell pre-employment background screening um, solutions to the marketplace. They now have to prove that this continuing continuous monitoring um, uh, work and the ID work uh, and all of these things that they built their TAMs around, actually that they're able to perform and sell against these. And I think that I'm going to keep a very close eye and watch on, on how that goes, because I think that has everything to do with where their price per share goes from now on. Um, it's not necessarily being able to take more market share inside the pre-employment background screening space. And you nailed it right there. It's out. It, it's kind of like fringe things outside the space that people are going to start tying into um, because they have to. Yep. 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 And on the next slide, which we don't need to go to right now, Nick, but we do have a couple of thoughts on, on those ideas that you guys both shared. Um, small players, guys, we were talking again before in kind of our, our pre-game um, Nick, you, you had mentioned small players can kind of go one or two ways, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you 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 shared an, interest, an interesting point um, where you think you know where where you said you know a lot of small players are going to go by the wayside. Um, yes, there are unfortunately going to be a lot of smaller players that do that. But going back to what we were talking about with the uh, the vacuum now that it's been created by mid market companies selling to larger companies is that. There is a great opportunity here, and this applies to the startups as well. There is an opportunity to be able to rise. There's an opportunity to be able to take customers away from those that are acquiring. It naturally happens. It always happens. It's going to take more than just trying to sell to these companies. So you've got to invest in your company. If you don't do that, if you don't think of new ways of being able to market to people and build a brand, um, that, then unfortunately, I agree these companies are going to go to the wayside, but those smart ones that take advantage of the situation, I think there's great opportunity to grow. Yeah. And I think there's two kinds of small companies. Uh, there's small companies that are building businesses and they're building them organically and they're trying everything they can do to build real businesses. And then there's small players that are well capitalized and they have the money to make mistakes and they have the money to try new things. You look at a company like, you know, certain a year ago, they didn't exist two years ago. They didn't exist. Now they just raised, you know, close to $50 million. Well, the revenue might not be there, but they got the capital to compete with anybody. So, you know, I think these small players that are undercapitalized are going to start having some real issues, um, especially servicing their own debt, you know, in a couple of years. So I think it, it's, it's, it's important for them to start looking for ways to capitalize the business because without capital, you can't grow. It, it, and what's really fascinating, even, even as, as we listen to each other share these thoughts, you know, we have four categories here and we can easily get to 10 or 12, depending on how we slice or dice. You know, there's the small players, um, a couple of which we mentioned, You're, you might be well capitalized, the revenue's not there. Then there's other companies that this might just be a lifestyle business and you've been 2 million for 15 years. 
And if you're okay with 2 million for 15 years, and in your mind, this is a mature company and it throws off the money that you want to live comfortably and then retire and maybe you sell, which we'll get to a little bit. We talk about M&A, that's fine. But if you're 2 million and you've been that way for 10 or 15 years, you can't figure out why, or you don't want to be 2 million, then some of the things like to Nick's point, investing in technology, your sales, your marketing, what's the size of your megaphone? Are you talking about the same thing as everybody else? No wonder you can't get through. Those are the kind of things that we think of when we say, all right, you're either going to grow because you want to, you're going to stay stable because that's okay, or you're not going to, you know, you're going to decline. You don't want to decline, but the worry for us, for some of the market um, that, that can't uh, execute on some of these ideas we're talking about is um, they're going to bleed out on the table. Well, you know, you, you really have to have a plan. You have to have a strategic plan. And a lot of people say, you know, I'm at this level and I've been growing and this isn't going to happen to me. Well, these are, these are economic principles that have lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years. And, you know, in this economy, uh, in the United States and, and elsewhere, it's just, it's, it's, it's basic economics. So these things are going to catch up and are going to happen. Now, how do you combat that? You strategically plan, you know, if, if you're going to sit there and pat yourself on a back on your back for the next six months, because you just want a big client. Is that what you're going to do? Or, or before you close that big client, you're already working on the three next ones. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's that kind of out of the box thinking uh, that helps these companies kind of springboard and you got to keep going, moving forward and not looking back. Yeah. One other observation that I just had in looking at the slide, and I really wasn't thinking about this up until now, um, is that in many ways, this actually mirrors what's happening on the inside of the supply chain too. You know, maybe there aren't as many publicly uh, traded companies, but the same exact thing is happening um, on, on, on that level as well. So um, it's just an interesting time in this industry. Um, and, um, and I won't say better or worse. Um, it's just different and it's evolving. Um, I happen to like it better, but, you know, uh, it is what it is. Nick, to your comment, and it's a perfect segue into the new, the new slide, the next slide, because when we talk about strategic partnerships, and some of the startups in the supply chain, we're not necessarily seeing the startups who are trying to do the same thing as, as somebody else, right? Yep. You, have, you have a new yep. CRA and they're a startup CRA. Well, guess what? They're still a CRA and so is Sterling and so are 400 yep. others, right? Mm -hmm. But you know, if we pivot to the next slide, Nick, um, you know, the strategic partnerships, um, you know, cross-check kind of comes to mind, a, a, a new twist on, on reference verifications or reference checks. Like reference checks have always been around, thinking of a new way to do it. Um, mm -hmm. Ironically, I'll talk out of the, you know both sides of my mouth um, and I'll, I'll use, you know, really, but sticking to the concept, I'll use everybody's favorite punching bag in our space, you know, Equifax. Equifax is total addressable market compared to our market. <laughs> I mean, our market dwarfs what they can do, but we're seeing them come in and some of the things that they're thinking of layering data and just thinking and creating different ways to slice and dice and provide data um, that's, that's an add-on service. And listen, a number of people, which I think we'll talk about today, are dropping Equifax. They're dropping APRIS because they don't like Equifax. They're dropping the work number. But when you have an ambitious, talented organization with a lot of capital behind it, that's thinking of new ways to do it, it's, it's a fine business plan. And I, I can't say I'm dialed into the inner workings of their business plan, but if they want to grow here and they think they can get here and they understand some people are going to be mad at them and they're going to take business here, like the world's a big place and they're just trying to go carve out their, their little piece. You know, um, I, I like, I like what you there. said or what you put on there about strategic partnerships. And I think the biggest thing, actually Nick can probably answer this better than me because he ran that at Sterling, but 
I think strategic partnerships are all about timing. If you if you're doing strategic partnerships reactively, you have to integrate with these guys, or you have to get their API and get on board with these guys reactively. You're not going to have much success with it. If you are um, if you're the one out there aggressively trying to create these partnerships early on, like Oracle did. Remember Oracle? They got yeah. bought by CareerBuilder. Oracle is like one of the first integrations with a, like two big or two emerging applicant tracking systems and it, and it grew their business. It really grew. It was one of the reasons their businesses grew. He um, did an incredible job. You know, again, give a shout out to Ben Goldberg. He really, he really did do a good job at planting that seed early and then it helped build his business. Yeah. And it's, you know, we're seeing, we see this is in other sectors too. There's other businesses I'm involved with that we've got huge partnerships that early, early on, that we'll have forever because we're, we're the first ones to market with it. So I think my point is, my overall point is, when you're looking at these partnerships, instead of being reactive to them, start looking out there what's available to you today and how you can capitalize on that now um, yeah. and see how, how you can take advantage of it. What can yeah. be, right? Yeah. What can be, uh, yeah. Nick, Nick, you made a good point earlier. Um, what is not a strategic partnership today yeah, in 2022? So, you know, yeah, if we would have been talking about this five years ago, 10 years ago, three years ago, Strategic partnership, I think CRAs would almost exclusively talk about the fact that I'm integrated with this ATS. I have a partnership with this ATS. And while I still think it is highly important to have a relationship with ATS companies and to be integrated with ATS companies, they are all going agnostic now, which means you can talk about a strategic partnership with them, but at the end of the day, they're going to integrate with whoever their clients want them to integrate with. So I don't really see um, most uh, ATS integrations as necessarily strategic partnerships these days. Um, strategic partnerships could be a number of different things. They, they, they can be um, some of the group purchasing organizations. Those are strategic partnership, uh, significant strategic partnership opportunities. Um, there are things like uh, getting exclusivity on certain services or or or, or data um, that that can help propel your company. Those are strategic partnerships, um, and so I just think the nature of what is now, um, you know, kind of your proprietary something that you either own or license um, is only going to become more important for uh, CRAs as they grow. Because again, uh, you know, Kevin, you and I keep going back to this. Jason, you said it, same thing. We all look alike. We all talk uh, uh, and say the same things about our companies. We got to start saying things that are different. I, I yeah. like I like when you referenced you know the the exclusive relationships, whether it's with organizations or data. Um, that's the work number. That's the clearinghouse, right? Um, Jason's working with Citadel, and Citadel has some of that. I'm working with Qualification Check. They have some of that. The exclusive relationships where you have to be part of of the solution. Um, mm -hmm. So that was a great ad there. Uh, poaching, poaching means a couple different things, right, Jason? Yeah, poaching can mean, you know, obviously people are, are looking at your clients uh, just as closely as they're looking at your employees. You know, they want to poach your clients just like they want to poach your employees. They see the value in that today. Um, so that's something to just not only keep an eye out for happening to you, but something to look to do to obviously others in order to compete. I think, I think, um, late 2020, early 2021 really kicked off that um, poaching of clients. I think poaching of employees is a late 2021, 2022 thing. Poaching of clients, I think was a lot of business leaders looking at shortfalls in revenue and volume as companies dealt with COVID and say, 
you know, the, the, the cotton sock factory calling people back to work, like that's not going to do it for me. I don't have enough of those clients. I, I need new logos. I need more sales and marketing. Um, I really need to, to dial that up because growing my way out of COVID. And again, we're, you know, talking about stuff 12, 18 months ago, but I, I, I see the, I see that in, in two different, um, phases and, um, and hopefully the ones that did it and did it well are, are kind of reaping the benefits today. You know, just, just kind of plan on your, your clients growing organically at 6%, you know, like you, you need new companies and nobody's waking up today saying, I think I should do background checks. That was 10, 15 years ago. The only way yeah. to grow is going by taking years. See, here's an interesting thing about poaching. Cause you'd say that CRAs have been poaching off their clientele for years, right? That'll never change. It's not going to change. I think the poaching that we've seen over the last year or so has less to do with the cost of the background check and how much I'm charging you than it does with, I can complete this. I have the bandwidth to be able to do this. I have the staff or the outsourcing uh, that I need in order to do this. And I think that that's been a fundamental shift lately um, in, in how poaching looks in this industry compared to how it used to. Yeah, it's, I would also add on technology to that. I think that there, you're starting to see sure. new technologies emerge. And what I mean by that, I had a really great conversation. I can't mention his name, but uh, a great conversation with somebody that wrote a background screening system, right, 20 years ago. Well, guess Jason, what? you know what I used to like, what I like to do when I can't say a name? Just rhyme it with something and let's see who guesses. <laughs> I won't do that to him because he's a dear friend. Okay. Um, but, you know, he admitted this and, and every, everybody else should too. I mean, Every background screening system that you see today, including all the platforms, were built 20 years ago. So you're operating workflows, everything else. And, and this, this goes for whether you built your own system or, or bought an off-the-shelf system. They were all built a long time ago. So everything is, is, is built on top of something that was kind of old and don't really play into the way workflows work today. So I think it's imperative for companies to look at new ways of doing things and, and, and the companies that are out there thinking of new ways to service their clients and, 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 and give the clients the, the uh, information that they need in their platform in order to make it look new and shiny and everything else. I'm you not know, sure I articulated that the way I really wanted to, but my point is everything that we're doing today as, as an industry is built on old technology that we need to start thinking, you know, forward thinking. On. I, I think you articulated it well, Jason. And if I'm, you know, one of the attendees here, I'm thinking, I, I, it's a combination of being terrified and being depressed because it's like, <laughs> man, I'm trying to keep up with today. Like I'm trying to keep up today and I can do today and I can do next week, but it's tough to look out next month, let alone next year. And here's Jason coming along saying, you know, my technology is archaic and I, I should really put some, some brain power and investment into it. And I think conceptually we all agree with it, but just the idea kind of lands like a thud because we know what a lift it is. It, it, it is both necessary and very difficult to do. So it'll be interesting to see how we, how we adapt to that. Look, I, we were talking about books at the beginning of this session, and now I'm going to bring it to another book. There has never been a better time for people in this industry to read the book, Who Moved My Cheese? Even if you already read it, I knew that was you should you were read say. it again. You yeah. should read it again, because I'm telling you, I've not seen things evolve <laughs> like this in this industry in a long time. Yeah. Um, profits, right? You, you, you know, like, like Nick had said, kind of general, but we all want, I mean, we all want that, you know, the, the publicly traded companies, again, you know, they need to show things to their investors. That thing is not always profit, but 
eventually we want it to lead there, right? So I, I think, and again, not, not to be a, a broken record when I talk about coming out of COVID, uh, I think for a lot of the leaders, we got to see what bad looks like. And bad is still fresh enough in our minds that when we think about, hey, don't forget to make a buck here. I, I, I think that's one of those things that's just being ingrained in us. Well, here, here's, here's the, we should put that in red because I think that's more important now than ever. And, and when I was talking earlier about being opportunistic or forward thinking, you know, profits today are obviously important because you just went through a crappy period with COVID. Profitability in the next five years is going to be really interesting to watch. We are in a massive inflationary period right now. And this is something that's happened only four times in the last 110 years. And every single time, started in 1917, Things went up 20%. You had World War One. You didn't have the workforce because they were overseas fighting a war. These things last for a very long time. I think we're in the first, second, or third inning of what's going on with inflation right now. What's going to happen is to combat that, there could be massive interest rates uh, rising. People aren't going to take risks like they normally do with investments. So you could, you know, where today private equity is buying things at huge multiples, some of that could dry up because the capital is just not there. So a lot of things you have to really watch your balance sheets and have really smart people, you know, advising you because nobody knows what's going to happen with the economy in the next couple of years. And we could see a lot of this before we see some, you know, straightening out in any direction. Yeah. Jason, I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm, and I'm not being a wise ass when I say this, but you looked at me like I had two heads about a quarter or two ago when I told you that I think prices was going to start going up in the city. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Not that we can raise prices necessarily. I don't know that we're going to have the tolerance for that. How how do you absorb 6%, 7% increasing costs without raising prices? I, I We could do an entire webinar on this, but I do think that everybody that is on this webinar, and even those that aren't that are in this industry, need to start thinking about this. It's going to happen. I don't know where it starts. It's going to happen. You cannot continue to eat these costs and you without know, raising it, your pricing. You know what? It just might be different things, right? Mm-hmm. Like you walk into Best Buy, you don't see the old school big TVs anymore, the ones that are this wide, right? Mm-hmm. You don't see telephones anymore. Organizations just decide to stop selling things. Now, maybe it's because of consumer demand, of course, but let's take flat screen TVs. You know, manufacturers just make better TVs. And while the price point over time drops, it's still a lot of money. Like mm-hmm. there's a point in time where they say, I'm not going to sell this TV at this price. I'm just going to go make another one and make it better. So it might not even be, um, you know, price increases or price decreases. It might just be new things, new products at different price points with profit built in. It's part of that. And I also think, I also think it's, there is, there is, something that in my mind would be considered an acceptable price increase and other things that are not. I think the things that are most acceptable for price increases are the things that are the labor related, the manual related stuff. Um, There's great justification for doing that. I get it on the automated side. Maybe, maybe not. I I, I don't think I'm smart enough to be able to think through that right at this moment. Um, But, but I do, I do think it's coming. Here, here's, here's, I'll just make a, I mean, again, these are all predictions. I have no, freaking idea what's going to you know actually happen in the end but you know if you're if you're a applicant you're an employer uh and you're hiring somebody that lived in manhattan and also worked for bank of america before you even start the background check it's 150 bucks because of the work number and because of the oca so and, and i know these are pass-through fees and we look at these as pass-through fees but at the end of the day 
that client's still writing that check for that $150 plus the cost of the background check. And then you go to them and say, I need another 10% for your criminal record searches. Well, let's say that, they're, that their supplier is a mid-market company and they don't necessarily have the sophistication, they don't have the automation, they don't have the offshoring like some of the larger five companies do. I go to my client and say, you know, I need to raise your prices. Their first thought is, I'm just going to go to higher right. I'm going to go to Sterling because they've got the economies of scale. They've got the offshoring already. They've got these things in place. Like maybe they'll raise my prices, but not as much as you want to raise my prices. So I just think it becomes a battle of, could be battle of switching vendors. It could be new, new people coming to the, you know, into the industry, doing things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that a, a CRA is going to be able to say we're raising our prices by 15%. And, and where I think profit, inflation, all this kind of comes together. And then I want to do a minute on the products before we pivot. Um, you know, 15 years ago, nobody wanted to put their pricing on the website. That, that, that was secret. That was sacred, right? We all wanted to have a conversation. Now it's like everybody's mag- marketing megaphone is so big and there's so much noise that when we do get someone to engage with us online, why are we going to give them a reason to leave and go away? Let's give them what they want right now. So I've noticed in the last couple of years, just an explosion of companies putting their pricing online. What they're not doing is saying, this is what it is per county. This is what it is for employer, et cetera. They're doing the packages. So when I think of inflation, I think of profit and just how many CRAs I've seen offering a $30 package with two or $3 of cost, extreme bare bones. And if I'm a buyer, especially if I'm not a sophisticated buyer, I'm not spending a ton of time on this. I don't want to spend 60 bucks. This $25 search looks good. It's lower, but if, you know, at dollars to donuts, if we looked at the profit on that traditional $60 package, yeah, we're better off selling a generated $30 $30 package with $3 a cost. That's where a lot of the money is. Yep. Um, And then we think of products. I'm I'm, I'm interested in your guys' take on it. Um, Extended or enhanced products, you know, that's, um, we think about deepening relationships, right? And you know, you you buy the monitoring or maybe the annual rescreen. Well, now it's the always-on monitoring. Um, anybody who's listened kind of knows my thoughts. I'm a little more glass half empty on continuous monitoring, um, but the medical monitoring, the sanctions, the things that are required for licenses, kind of that always-on. I see that gaining traction in the future. Eliminated products. Um, you know, maybe turnaround time was too long and I killed reference interviews, you know, where you're calling Johnny's grandmother. Can Johnny do the job? And people stopped that, you know, saved them 15 bucks and it saved them two days on turnaround time. You think they're going back? I don't know. Like, I think they're, I, I don't, I don't think they're going back. Right. I think they're adjusting to the life that they're in and they're moving on. Yep. What do you guys think? I, I agree. I think that's the, that's the opportunity for emerging products. Um, you know, people look at the old way of doing things and it just doesn't make sense anymore, but they still kind of like the result of what they get from that product, like a reference check. Well, now there's a new way to do it for like an absolute fraction of the cost. Um, I think it becomes a compelling, a, a compelling situation for a yeah. lot of uh, end users. Yeah. yeah. Nick, let's- I think we keep going to, I think we really keep quickly, I think we keep going to verification solutions because it's unanimous that we all see that as the uh, kind of the, that, that is the stick in the mud right now for the industry. There's so much opportunity there. And so like Jason was talking about, and Kevin, I know we have to move on, but like, it's not even with that. I know we keep talking about verifications. It's not just the one solution you guys are talking about. It's a whole mess of them. It's whether we go, there's a blockchain thing. It's whether this direct to IRS thing ends up working out. Mm-hmm. 
people might not get exactly what they got before, but it's going to be considered good enough. And once it is, they're not going back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know how much value there is anymore for six months of employment history, six years ago at 50 bucks. Mm -hmm. Nope. Yep. No, it, it's, it's funny too. This doesn't really fit anywhere, but you know, again, I deal with a lot of startups and companies that are, you know, not only startups, but you know, already profitable and, and growing. And you look, they look at applicants, and they'll see. You know, we used to look at applicants and resumes that had a lot of job hopping on there, and they used to immediately dissuade people from hiring those people. It, that's not how people think anymore. Like they don't. Oh, care it's actually if you hopping. if you have a short work history now, that counts against you. Why haven't right. you moved? Yeah, we're dinosaurs, guys. Right. So it's, it's right. just, you know, it's a, it's a whole new way. You got to adapt. Yeah. yeah. Let's, hey, let's go Kevin, through the next one fast. Uh, go ahead, Nick. I was just going to say, I've not done a good job of keeping us on time. That's I'm okay. hoping you will get us on pace. Yep. Yep. We're, By the way, good. if you have questions too, make sure you put questions in the question. And yeah. Answer. We got, we got three sections that we're pretty excited to talk about, but you know, this, this is, this is the con to the last slide. You know, what, what's a flash in the pan? Uh, I'll do the last one first. I think, you know, the, the easy money, the COVID bounce, um, I, I got in a year ago. I'm, I'm going to turn it. I, I, I think that's probably coming to an end. You know, we're settling into the new world. So buying the dip um, in, in 2020, I think the easy money's kind of uh, been made already. Uh, and the next three are kind of uh, pretty similar. Again, uh, pandemic related, uh, health monitoring six months from now, you know, do we need to know? Um, COVID tests, fever, temperature checks. I, I don't I don't know, but I don't think so. And then return to work screening, which we're going to get into a little bit. We talk about when, when the volume train will stop, but there will come a point where those who can and do want to return to the labor force will have returned to the labor force. We still have about a 2 million person gap between labor force participation now compared to then. At some point that levels off. It don't come back to 2 million, by the way. So that that's a little, um, you know, that uh, there's a little pessimism there, but those are a couple of things that I think, you know, we're going to move past pretty quickly. You know, I, I think I always make every decision based on if it's too good to be true, it is right. And I think with this COVID bounce and people looking at the great resignation lasting for a very long time, I think that people, I think that people saw the grass isn't greener on the other side and they thought they'd take advantage of an opportunity to make more money. Uh, going somewhere else, and they're going to, you know, wait it out, and this and that. People aren't liking what they're seeing anymore. Um, so I think that's going to stop pretty quickly, and I think you might see more tenure uh, with companies, and people last longer at the companies they're at because they kind of went through that during COVID and didn't like what they saw. Yeah, yeah. Nick, let's let's move to the next one. Um. So, and, and I almost wish we could do the next one before this. But then I'm then <laughs> so I'm worried it. we're going to forget to do this. Now nah, I'm worried we're going to forget to do this. Um, I think this is a, I think this is there's never been a better time to do this than right yeah, now. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So you know we talked about the M and A activity and and you know part of what we also say is yeah it's shiny it's interesting it gets us talking to trade shows and at the bar but does it affect us and sometimes the answer is yes sometimes it's no but we want to spend a, a minute or two just kind of talking the, about the psychology why people do what they do whether they're on the buyer side or seller side. Um, what's interesting to me, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about why sell, and then I'll let Jason and Nick chime in, but I've had a lot of conversations lately with people who are 60 years old that 30 years ago, when all of us started, we were PIs, law enforcement, you got in this business because you had the heart of a screener, you wanted to see where it went, and now you're a grandfather, you want to go sit on the beach, you want to play with the grandkids, 
um, especially when we talk about the long tail of screening companies in our space, there are dozens upon dozens upon dozens of people, business owners who fit this model. So um, the, the timing is just right. That's one of the reasons we think M&A activity will, will continue. It might not be huge activity, but we'll continue to see that. And like we said before, some of the shops doing that roll-up strategy, this is who they're going after. Yeah, I mean, a good thing to look at is every company uh, in the last six years that uh, has been bought by private equity or involved in private equity that hasn't sold yet will be selling. Um, you know, private equity typically likes to hold these things for three to five years. So there's a lot coming due now. Uh, and that, so you're going to start seeing some stuff in that regard. Um, but, you know, there's never been a better time to sell a CRA than right now. The, the multiples are, are, are super high. That's not going to last. Um, and it, there's, there's a lot of competition uh, for the acquisition. So I'm not sure what's going to happen in two years, but right now it's just, it's so hot. It's, 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 it's very interesting to watch. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm not going to really play into what you guys are saying. I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, what I think about when I'm looking at M&A um, is I can condense it down to a few conversations I've had with companies that are considering selling right now. And these are people that I respect. Um, I think that company or the individuals at these companies that make these decisions have to really think about what is their future look like. And I don't mean their future, you're going to back the Brinks truck up, I'm going to ride off into the sunset. Doesn't happen. Okay. What do you want to do? Do you want, do you want to, uh, do you want to become a, a part of a larger business of which you have a, a share of that business? Do you want to get an all cash deal and walk away? I think those are very fundamental questions you have to start asking yourself before you even put this on the table. Because if you can't define what that looks like, you're going to have a hard time trying to find the right buyer for your organization. Um, and I, Jason, I don't know if you're running into this now or not with, with people that you're talking to, but um, I just find that a, there have been a lot of CRAs that have seen all this transactional activity take place and, and, and they don't, through no fault of their own, have any idea of what they want to do. They just know they want to sell their companies and that's the extent of it. Yeah. And, and your, and, and your point before that was, was correct because a lot of these roll-up strategies, they don't just want to buy you outright. They want to buy you and grow you um, mm -hmm. and have you be a part of, the, of that, especially if you're smaller. And that creates incredible opportunity. I mean, a lot of people have been more successful at the second bite of the apple than, than when they uh, recapitalize their business. Yeah. Yeah. You, you think of why buy, right? The all in. Um, I'm a $5 million company. I'm going to buy another $5 million company. I am all in on this space, yep. a, str a strategic play. Um, I do something connected to our space, but not directly in it. I'm going to make an investment and then I'm going to grow both. Um, Vault Health comes to mind. They bought FS Solutions last year, humongous occupational health and, and, and drug screening company, buying a CRA, looking to grow the CRA space, leverage both client bases, um, side pieces. And side pieces also helps on the selling side. You know, like this is my business and I got this little screening thing over here in the corner. I, I'm not giving it enough time or attention oxygen. Why don't I just sell it? Um, sometimes people may buy it because they just want the future earnings and it's the same concept, but just as often they're like, yeah, this is here. I'm just, I'm just going to get rid of it. Um, but like you said, yeah, Nick, the psychology is different really in all of these. All right. Um, let's, let's talk about when the train will stop. So mentioned a few minutes ago, um, we're, we're starting to become 
a little more pessimistic and, you know, listen for everyone, you know, listening, it's not like Nick Jason and I talk to uh, have conference calls all day with the same people. We're all off doing our own things. And when we connect each other, we share what we're learning and hearing in the space. So we're, we're leveraging our individual networks um, and, and really sharing inside of, of our organization, the, 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 um, the conversations and themes that we're hearing. And one of the things that, that we're really kind of circling back to, to Jason's comment, um, like at some point, people are going to stop job hopping, right? right? I mean, we think now in fast food, certain industries, it's just going to continue to happen. But white collar organizations, people are going to move. And maybe this is their first move in five years or eight years. They're not going to move again in six months. So we got that fresh screen as a vendor today, but we're probably not going to get it again tomorrow. Um, that's so, so that's something I'm thinking of and looking at, looking at when the well, train is going to stop. There's something else that plays into that too. I think if you look at certain industries and I'll, I'll just use restaurants and hospitality as an example, um, because this is happening everywhere, but these businesses that were so reliant on labor for so many years that all of a sudden couldn't hire people found better ways to do it and more automated ways to do it. And that needs less employees. So think about it like this. You walk into a restaurant, you know, where you used to have a, a waiter, a food runner, a cashier, cooks line people, all that kind of stuff. Now you can come in and you can scan your scan the menu uh, on a QR code. You order from your from your phone that eliminates the waiter, and then you have a food runner. So I think that you're seeing you're you're seeing some technologies emerge in these industries that are going to remove the need for people. Period. And, and a mechanical arm in the kitchen dropping the yeah. chicken wings into the fryer and taking it, it out. It's happening. I, I, I've seen I've seen videos and I've seen read articles about stuff that's happening in businesses that I never in a billion years thought could be automated. Uh, if you look at the the legal profession, half of people in the legal profession do nothing but discovery work. They comb through documents. It's all they do. There's AI and machine learning that can automate that to pull out those keywords so you don't have those banker boxes and people piling through those things anymore. Um, it, it's, just, it's just happening and it's happening everywhere. So I think you're gonna see things starting to kind of level out pretty soon here. Okay, I've got a couple of things I wanna talk about on here. I did, and I, 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 those are good observations. First thing that I would be- Nick's gonna tell about, us we're stupid. No, okay. not quite. No, Kevin, but I got one for you. The picture you put in here, what kind of self-respecting Democrat puts a train going right to Trump Tower? Frankly, I'm I'm a little shocked by you. I did not. Okay, hand okay. up on that one. Wow. That, 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 that's number one. Good number for you. Two, Good for you. Yeah. Number two, I, I agree with what Jason just said about companies finding new ways of doing things. But I don't think we talk about the train stopping in terms of like, when is this volume going? Have we hit our peak? Is it going to go down? I still see lots of reasons to believe that it's not going to happen for a little while. Um, I think job churn is here and it's going to be here to stay as long as the economy remains good. I think that's number one. I think number two, we have seen over the last couple of years, certain pockets of the economy uh, grow and take off. But there have been others, Jason, you brought up hospitality and restaurants and things like that. You know, they're over, they're short staffed. And, 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 and when demand is coming back, They've got to staff up in order to do that. So I do think that there are still industries that uh, that that are going to come back on that upswing, and I think we're going to see that this year. Um, the other thing that I think that we are seeing and will continue to see for the near future is people are dropping out of traditional employment, right? And they're going to gig jobs. When they take a gig job, they don't just take one; they take several. 
Every single one of those gig jobs requires a background check. So I still think that there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, it's not to say that things are going to go on the way that they are forever. I just don't think it's going to happen as quickly, um, you know, short of existential factors that none of us are thinking about. I mean, again, we talked about Ukraine earlier. Could that have some kind of a, an impact on this industry? Yeah, it actually can, but that's a whole other story. Um, but I, I, I don't think things are going to slow down dramatically anytime soon. Yeah, those, those are good comments. I'm going to run through a few more of the bullets we have here because I, I, I'm looking forward to our conversation around compliance on the next page. I'm starting to agree with Jason, which should scare all of us. Um, <laughs> but the, the JOLTS report, and we've done more of this on previous webinars or uh, Background Check Radio podcasts where I talk more about the JOLTS report, but essentially that's the job openings labor turnover study that Bureau of Labor Statistics puts out every month open positions, quit rate. There's some good trends in there. There's usually articles you can find on CNN um, or Fox News, depending on your political preference, that kind of discusses that in detail. Um, who wins the battle for the employee's soul? Uh, this is remote work or not remote work. This is, I need you in the office. I can do my work from home. It's not that we love our four walls so much. It's just so much more thinking convenient. So um, I think as the more companies that say, come on back to the office, the more people you'll see saying, thank you, I'll go somewhere else. I yep. think as that levels off, that impacts volume. And then last, labor force exits. Uh, I talked before, we're 2 million people light in the labor force. Every recession or economic cataclysm, you know, this, this happens. It happened in the financial uh, crisis um, about 12 years ago. People retire early. People just say, this isn't for me. They drop out of the labor force. To Jason's point, that leads to more automation in the workforce. But we were at 161, 162 million working Americans two years ago. Now we're not. And I don't know, aside from demographic growth, if we're going to get there. I don't think there's a magical return to work where we're going to gain 2 million more people. So where are the workers? Uh, they've retired. They're caring for children because the daycare's closed. They're caring for sick relatives because of COVID. Or unfortunately, several hundred thousand of them in the labor force have died. And, and, and that sucks to say, but that's part of the number two. I read an interesting headline today on my Google alerts. Um, it said 64% of unemployed in their 30s have criminal records. And that's affecting job searches. I don't know where it plays in, but I do know that um, we'll start seeing some more legislation to uh, help people that have prior criminal records and convictions to enter the labor force. Yeah, Checker's doing some great marketing on that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I let's agree. Move. Let's move, Nick. All right, compliance. Um, and and I, I, I put this in here. I thought this was very timely with the mid-year coming up. Um, here's the pro and con. Um, Jason typically is more of the not as much as it used to be. I am slowly starting to agree with him a little more. Um, what do we think, guys? It's not that people don't care about these things. It's the fact that in order to disrupt things, you have to make change. And I think that people are more willing to push the envelope a little bit um, and do things a little bit outside the way they've always been done, dancing on some gray lines or trying things in new ways that aren't that the law is silent on in order to in order to succeed. Um, so I do think it matters. I just think that uh, you can't run a business only looking at compliance. You have to look at other things too. Yep. Yep. 
And it, as a chair of the BSCC, I will say accreditation still does matter. Yes, it does. Um, but, uh, you know, and even in some of the public filings, Jason, we'll see litigation. Litigation is an expense item on the budget. It's yeah. expected. It's understood. It doesn't mean nobody cares, but it's, it's, it's part of kind of growing up both as an industry, as a company. Nick, what do you think? Look, I think all three of us are aligned on this, um, that there's got to be a better balance between these two. Um, but I also forgot to mention earlier when we were talking about volume, and I think it plays well into compliance here. I've been following something for several months now, um, and uh, Scott Paylor actually was one of the people that helped open my eyes to this, and that is tenant screening. With some of the things that are happening right now in tenant screening, that actually is an, is an example where compliance is coming in and basically saying, you need to start doing things differently right now. That creates a tremendous opportunity for volume uh, within our industry because I think that going forward, tenant screening is going to look more like employment screening. Um, and, and so um, I, I still think that uh, compliance can be a big part of what we do in this industry and how we do things and we can still benefit from those things. Um, but again, I, I know I'm talking out of two sides of my mouth. I also think that people have to start pushing the envelope that they're going to be different, um, not to the point where they're putting their, their companies on the line or affecting, um, or, or affecting people, but just where the current, we got to keep pushing. Yeah. And, and what's interesting, and it, it just kind of popped in my head, it's not that, and I'm thinking of what Jason said a few minutes ago about technology spend 20 years old, need to revisit, need to enhance. I kind of think of that when I think of litigation and compliance. So for the lawyers and compliance experts here, it's not that I think we as operators or sales and marketing people, business leaders feel like compliance and lawyers are just in our face every day saying no. I think it's the fact that we are in a regulated industry and there's laws we need to follow to Jason's thing where I was like, man, we all know we got to do it, but that's a hard lift. It's time, it's energy, it's money. I think it's because we live in this world to be able to kind of push the envelope and take changes and look at things like you guys say, we know it's just such a lift and we got to do things today, tomorrow, next week, that sometimes it's just easier to keep doing what we're doing. And that chills innovation a little. And, but, but my point in saying that is I think it's more that than it's lawyers or compliance officers slapping us on the wrist every day. We just know it's going to be hard. So we kind of default to what's easy. Yeah. I mean, look at the most successful companies. I mean, especially in the last 10 years, look at Uber, the concept of, of picking somebody up and having them pay you uh, to drive them somewhere was illegal. I mean, that, you need a livery license to do that in, in most, in most jurisdictions. And they said, we found a better way to do this and people are going to really like it and they're going to adapt to it. And, and they did it. So yeah. it, it, those are the things I talk about when I talk about does compliance still matter because they, they in order to push the envelope, you gotta, you gotta break a few eggs. Hey, small tangent on Uber, by the way. And it does kind of go along with what you're talking about on compliance. Um, I just saw a preview for, I think they're doing a documentary on this. Yeah, it looks awesome. Of, with, it, but the, the, you, you see just in that, in that, um, in, in the trailer for it, uh, that everything touched on pushing compliance, everything that they were doing. Everything. Um, and, and so um, it, I, I think that's a really good uh, analogy to some of the things that we're seeing here too. All right. Uh, before we go to what we're looking for at PBSA, uh, we want to thank again Taz 
Tazworks for sponsoring today's webinar. Um, we are also doing, which I have another slide on, one of our next webinars from iCubed. We're doing a very agnostic to build or to buy uh, presentation, uh, how to make your technology choices. Is it best to use an off-the-shelf system? Is it best to use a proprietary system? Uh, we're co-presenting it with Taz. It's a very agnostic look. There are pros and cons on both sides. We're really looking forward to that and uh, thank them for not only sponsoring today, but for joining be awesome. us uh, on that for a couple of weeks, uh, in a couple of weeks. All right, PBSA, what are we thinking of, guys? Um, I'm really interested, I'll say this and then I'll shut up, in the attendee sponsor split. Sponsors yep. got to go. Sponsors got to go, right? Have you have you looked at the uh have you looked at the list guys lately? I no. have, but I haven't done the split yet. Um and How does it look? I I I could be well so I remember the last couple it was probably 50-50 and I know that's way like where sponsors don't want. <laughs> you know, I think 25-75 is is a tolerable number. I mean, you want that, you want that attendee number as high as it, as it can go, but yeah. I'm just interested. And it's not that sponsors, not that every sponsor spent sending 15 people. It's that when are attendees going to get off the sidelines? Um, it is not virtual this year. So the one thing we do lose is being able to go back and re review those sessions that you didn't go to. And I'm, I'm just interested in how many people are going to hop on an airplane. Yeah. I'm, I'll tell you, I, again, I'm a huge supporter of PBSA. I know you guys are too. Mm -hmm. yes. I want to see people show up. I understand, you know, obviously over the last couple of years, why that's been a challenge. I'm really hoping people show up at this one. Um, me too. I, I, I think the, the, to me, and it's been, and it is still early. Um, that list is, is a little bit short. Um, it, it has a lot of sponsors on it. Um, I want to see attendees uh, show up here. I'm looking for something completely different. My wife calls me the hardest working retired person that she knows. I'm looking for, I, I'm looking for deals. I'm looking for, P yeah. I am having so much fun with recruiting. I, it's so okay. rewarding to find people jobs. I've got so many people looking for top talent. I'm walking around talking to people. I'm walking around just meeting people, talking to people. What's next for you? I'm also looking for M&A stuff. Um, I've got a lot of buyers and sellers out there that I'm looking to connect. Um, so I'm going to be there networking and that's it. Yeah. Yep, I, I I agree with that. And Jason, and the three of us are going to host. I want to talk about what we're going to host on uh, on the yeah, day everybody. Arrives. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. This is cool, oh, by the way. You guys did. You guys didn't even tell me about this. We did it. We did it. We're like, not sure. Really we're quickly. not sure we're going to invite you yet. <laughs> that, well, that's fair. You want so people to show we, up, don't you? I don't have to come. Before I got COVID at the last one, we were supposed to do an NFL game uh, when everybody's arriving. So this time, uh, it's 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 Master Sunday. So we're going to show the Masters. Um, in one of the bars, I have to call the hotel. Actually, we have still. Yeah, now I got to work it out. I got, I got. Okay, go. okay. Um, and uh, is that going to be sponsored a... by one of your bands too, Jason, or is that just no? But, thing? No, we're going to wait till uh, we're going to wait till uh, the the the, uh, the the event is in the Denver area. Maybe get our band in there. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but we're going to watch the Masters. We're going to talk. We're going to network, and we're going to have some fun. Yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from with what uh, Bridget says about retirement. Angie says, my wife says, uh, the more I work, the busier I get. And she's not necessarily all in favor of it. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, it'll be a fun show. Come join us. Um, and then the webinar I did not talk about. Um, I'm going to run a panel discussion. Uh, Jason and Nick are not invited to this one uh, with Andy Hellman, uh, Kirsten Bogus of NetForce Global and Ed Hall, the CEO of Qualification Check. We're going to talk about global products. Um, global is extremely interesting to me. Um, it is the new frontier. 
read the public filings, companies in our space. Um, again, we talk about fighting each other for market sharing for products. International is a big, wide open space. So really excited to, uh, to get with that team in about a month or so. Fun stuff. All right, guys. As always, I love doing this with you guys. Oh, you got a question here? Uh, there's two. Well, one question is, will this webinar be able to be listened to later? And yes, uh, we will publish a uh, recording of it so everybody can see it. Yep. And I'll put this on Background Check Radio podcast um, in a couple of days, which you can get through iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Hey, Jason. That way you can you listen to us that? and you don't have to look at us. Jason, what? Oh, <laughs> nice, no, oh, nice Colorado hat. I, I, I thought somebody was saying nice company hat, Jason. Oh, no, Colorado hat. Yeah. You know, I'm it. limited to like the five pieces of clothing I have in my in my possession right now. If you guys don't know, I had a house fire a couple of weeks ago. So we're relegated to the things that we could carry on our back right now. We're in the same thing every single day. So fun stuff. All right, everyone. Cool. Thank you very much for joining us again today. Have a good day. Have a good afternoon. Bye-bye.